Welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. In this podcast, our goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices, instead look for the processes and the questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. I'm Will Patch, Senior Enrollment Insights Leader at Niche, and my guest today is Jamie Hunt. Jamie is the Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Miami University. In just 17 years, she has been a part of four university rebrandings, four website redesigns, and built two integrated marketing communications models. I think it's safe to say that Jamie is a change maker and not someone who came in to steer a boat. Welcome. Thanks for taking time to chat today, Jamie. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we were able to get this to work. I'm going to start off with two questions I ask everyone. So first up here, what's something you tried that didn't work and what did you learn from it? So I am guilty of using a one size fits all approach with staff and the mm-hmm. failure of that has been really humbling. You really have to get to know your team well. What works for one person doesn't work well with everybody. For example, there's some designers and writers who love a blank canvas. They love being given that sort of vague parameters and like, just go be creative. And others don't react well to that at all. They want more guidance and more feedback. You kind of have to feel your way through that. As you get to know people better, you start to learn who's going to flourish with a free reign and who's going to become really anxious with a free free reign. At a previous institution, a creative and I often got frustrated with each other because I was painting in these really broad strokes and asking them to fill in the details with their professional expertise. But that really stressed them out. And I would hear from other people that this person was complaining, why doesn't she just tell me exactly what she wants? <laughs> and meanwhile, I was sitting like smugly thinking like, I'm a great leader because I'm giving free reign and people can be creative. And yeah. it was really humbling to realize that Every individual has a different motivator and a different comfort level with a free reign and that I don't know all the answers. I have to get to know the people to know which vein is more appropriate for them. Yeah. Kind of building off that a little bit. How how did you do that so effectively here when you started and weren't in person? You didn't you weren't I I think for a while, is it true you weren't in the same state even as as your staff or that? So I was working in um, Oxford. I had many staff members who were in other states um, that were really close to the Kentucky and Indiana borders. So Mm -hmm. we we had a lot of staff members and we had a couple who had gotten hired mid-pandemic that were living in other states. So we did have a lot of that going on. But yeah, it was was a little bit challenging. Mm -hmm. I think you almost have to read body language. And one of the things that I think I'm good at is reading body language and reading the room. And it's Mm -hmm. super hard to do on video. And it's actually really hard to do with masks sometimes too, because it sort of filters out people's facial expressions a little bit. So it does feel like I have one arm behind my back trying to figure this all out. But some of it is listening to what other people say that other people are saying, you know, so somebody's like with the previous example, when somebody's saying they're complaining about, the big free reign I'm giving them, like I need to listen to that and take that on board and adjust for that person. And you just kind of build up this mental model of, okay, for, for these staff, I need to have a framework or I can give them super rough sketches. And then this other staff, how do you do that when you have multiple models all working on one project even? Yeah, it's tricky. I have one right now. I have 47 people on my team and that's, 47 different individuals I have to get to know. So how I've started is getting to know my direct reports and then encouraging them to have the same approach with their direct reports so that we can 
it's not me having to get to know what makes 47 different people tick. It's Mm -hmm. me getting to know what makes the people who direct report to me tick and then them figuring out what makes the people that report to them tick Mm -hmm. and using that to best leverage the team. And it's getting a little easier now that we're back in person, but we, we still have a lot of work from home on our team. It's getting a little easier now that we're back in person though. I mean, that's an important thing that I want to just call out too, that you're, you're building the bench really too, that you're training them to be great leaders too. It's not just a, you know, you're trying to do it all. You're training them how to be empathetic to their staff's need. And that's really important. I think so. I I hope that that's how they take it. I think Mm -hmm. they've really blossomed. Yesterday was my one year anniversary here. And when I look back at where we were a year ago Mm -hmm. and compared to today, it's unrecognizable in a lot of ways. Um, people are working and collaborating a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are, there's people who were sort of holding back when I first got here who've turned out to be amazing leaders because they're given the tools that they need to thrive as mm-hmm. leaders. And so I think that's really important. I, I made a mistake in a previous role where I didn't sort of have a succession plan either, where I wasn't really prepping somebody to be able to step in for me if I was on an extended leave or after I left. And so I want to make sure that all the people that direct report to me could step into my shoes if I have a need to be away for some reason. Yeah. I wish I could remember who said it. This was probably five, six years ago now, but someone told me at training that if, if you're not replaceable, you're not promotable. Mm. I think that goes right to if, if you don't have that plan for if someone else leaves or if you leave, you've kind of hemmed yourself into being irreplaceable. And and I think I was at a point at one point where I thought that was a good thing to be irreplaceable, but. (laughs) Absolutely. I think that's a really good point. And I think everybody has different motivations. You have people who want to be really, really good at the job they're currently doing. And then people Mm -hmm. who want to advance or move into different roles or challenge themselves professionally. And Mm -hmm. you have to know what each person is, but you still have to respect the people who are happy in their roles and just want to be really, really good at it. You need those yeah. people to provide the stability. That That's part of understanding what makes people tick too. Yeah. I assume this comes up daily for you, but what are some practices you use to brainstorm and then bring new ideas into the work? Yeah. I really crave input from other people. Mm-hmm. And I didn't always. When I was early in my career, I felt like if I asked for input or solicited ideas, it was showing that i was weak or didn't know something. Mm-hmm. And that is, that was silly because I didn't know everything. Yeah. And now, you know, 17 years into my higher ed career, I know infinitely more, but I ask for input and new ideas mm-hmm. more often because I feel like I've gained a little bit of wisdom to know I don't have all the answers. So I, I really think that getting different perspectives almost always makes a project stronger. And as you bring more voices to the table, you get these broader perspectives that inform the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And then the end product ends up being that much stronger. But you have to set aside that ego and that belief that only your ideas are valid and only your perspectives are worthy and really take advantage of the expertise that surrounds you. Um, Everybody around you has some sort of unique peace that they bring to the table. And if you're not harnessing that power, you're not going to be as impactful and strong. So when I am working on a new project, I usually try to ideate, um, come up with concepts, but then start bouncing them off people for new ideas, new perspectives, and bounce it off people who maybe don't seem naturally connected to the project too, Mm -hmm. so that you're getting input and ideas that strengthen it 
from a different angle that you maybe would have never thought about. So that's, that's how I do it. I know, you know, there's everybody's on a spectrum of comfort level with soliciting ideas and soliciting being challenged on your ideas. Mm -hmm. I like to think that I'm moving toward being very, very comfortable with that. How are you asking for the feedback in ways that you make sure you get valuable feedback? That's a really good question. And, and one of the things that I would say is as you're trying to get more comfortable with feedback, starting with colleagues you trust, I think it's a good place to start because I think sometimes people have anxiety that somebody's going to give you bad ideas so that they can thwart your efforts. And yeah. so starting with people that you really, really trust. But in terms of how I ask for that feedback, I usually ask somewhat open-ended questions about the work. What's your gut response to this? Or am I missing anything here? Or what do you think about mm-hmm. this aspect of it? Because I think just a free range um, can you give me feedback on this can be daunting for the feedback giver. Yeah. And so having some sort of parameters or guardrails around that, I think really helps. Okay. And one other piece before we jump into to the meat here that I wanted to ask you about when you say you're getting feedback from outside the project, is it other people within your team that you're getting feedback from who are just working on other projects? Is it someone, you know, maybe if it's a, a undergrad piece, you go ask someone from the grad side, or you go ask someone from athletics or academics. Yeah. So a a combination, I usually like to make sure that I'm getting feedback from the internal university communications and marketing team Mm -hmm. um, to make sure I'm getting the expertise that they bring to the table into that project. But I love connecting with our VP for enrollment management on Mm -hmm. getting his feedback on things. Our CIO um, has a lot of good insights. Sometimes the feedback I'm looking for is from a perspective of people who've been here for a really long time. So you might want to bounce mm-hmm. it off someone who's been at the university for you know, 10, 15, 20 years to get their thoughts on it. I crave feedback so much in terms of I, I want the idea to be the best it can. And sometimes I worry that people perceive that as I don't have confidence in my ideas, mm-hmm. but I just crave that, that I didn't think of that moment. It feels really good to have that moment and realize like you're plugging a hole in something that's making it stronger. Yeah, I think I always have this almost anxiety that, well, they they didn't say anything was wrong with it. So so what's wrong with it that they aren't (laughs) seeing? (laughs) Right. Yep. For sure. So speaking of brainstorming, how are you setting aside time to either foster brainstorming or or just set aside time for staff to just be creative on a project or something that might be used in the future? Yeah. One of the things that we started doing is pairing up members of our creative team and giving them a challenge. So you have maybe three different pairs, giving them a challenge and let each team develop their solution or their design or their whatever for that Mm -hmm. that challenge. And I think they enjoy that process. It gives them an opportunity to collaborate with another team member while Uh also having a little bit of competition, which I think sometimes makes people up their game a little bit. Yeah. And a previous institution, we had fewer designers, so it was more. It wasn't really team based because we didn't have enough to have a bunch of teams. And at that institution, we also carved out an hour a week that was just on our calendar as brainstorming time. And we brought everybody from the team together into one of our creative spaces, which had like whiteboard walls and comfy chairs. And project leaders on our team would bring forward projects that we needed some creativity to be applied and and Mm. needed ideas. And so the project manager would come forward with, I'm working on this project. This is sort of the parameters of it. And then 
What do you think? What, what big scope ideas do you have about this? What are your thoughts? And some of our best ideas came from people who would normally not intersect with the project. So if we were talking about you know, some sort of admissions email campaign, sometimes our videographer would have the best ideas, even though there's not necessarily a video component to it. It was fabulous to get his perspective on things that he might not have ever even known was happening. I'm hoping we can do something like that here at Miami. We're, we're searching for a new creative director. I don't know when this is going to be broadcast, but we're, we're searching for a new creative director, and I'm hoping to bring some of those practices here. Well, uh, hopefully we can get some more applicants dri- driven your way. But then I think you answered it a little bit. With these design challenges, so are you, when you're putting together the teams, is it, you know, we have three graphic design people on a team working on a challenge, and we have the videographers, or are they completely mixed in terms of what their backgrounds and normal day-to-day work is? I think it's a, I think it's a mix. Mm-hmm. We, we try to pair, like have writers be connected with designers. Yeah. And for the creative challenges, we also try to work with people who don't usually work together on projects mm-hmm. or who have really vastly different demographics. Like we might have a, a younger designer paired with someone who's more seasoned and had more experience mm-hmm. in the field to help them appreciate each other's perspective and what each person mm-hmm. brings to that conversation. It's a mix depending on the project and what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I really like that idea. Do you feel that's something that would work on smaller teams too? I I would think so. I mean, okay. we, I had a much smaller team at Winston-Salem state and mm-hmm. we still did that for big campaigns. We would have, you know, people come up with concepts and then put them forward and we'd kind of vote on them without knowing who worked on them and gave feedback. And then it would be revealed which person worked on it. And it seemed like the people working on them felt a a little level of of competition. But what I hoped didn't happen was, oh, I'm I'm not good because the other person's was picked. Like you don't want to crush people's spirits either. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, it'd be a hard line to walk, but I think that I think framing it correctly would probably help that this is all to help everybody. There's not going to be one that is perfect out of the box and we'll just run with that. Yeah. And a lot of times we'd be talking about merging concepts. We really Uh like something here. We also like something in this. Can we Mm -hmm. bring these together into something that actually happened more than it didn't as I'm sitting and thinking about that? That's good. Do you have regular teams, almost like product teams, where you have one person who's the manager on this project and you have some writers assigned to it and video? And is, is it set up like that or is it more fluid? Yeah, so we have a fairly flat um, hierarchy here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the org chart is sort of an on-paper thing that you have to have, right. but you need to be able to not have to go through four lines of people to bring somebody into a project. We do have a um, luxury that I didn't have in my last role in having a project management team that Mm -hmm. sort of oversees sort of the overall assigning of projects and keeping people on deadlines. But people evolve into leaders. So they will lead a project and then the project manager can just focus on reminding people of deadlines and working Mm -hmm. on getting the quotes if it's a print material or ironing out operationally what needs to be done and -hmm. letting people pull together teams across all the units within university communications and marketing and have the right mix of people to inform the project. That's great. When we're talking about campaigns, do you think it's more important to start the campaign off with the brand guidelines and then build up what it's going to look like from there? 
or do you try and cast a wide net of here's all our possible creative asset possibilities? You know, maybe these don't work on this project, but they can work on a different ones. So we'll, we'll shelf those for now. Yeah. So I think that you definitely need to start with the campaign and brand guidelines and build up. Mm -hmm. I think the risk of going the other way is creating materials or collateral that's out of alignment with your brand. And then people get kind of upset if they spent a lot of time and energy on a project and then everything has to change to get it within brand guidelines. Mm -hmm. And I think the last thing they want to hear is like, this is awesome, but it's not in brand. Can you change everything about it? Um, (laughs) I love it. Let's change everything. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I think the brand needs to be the foundation, Mm -hmm. but that really shouldn't be a huge hindrance to creativity. The brand guidelines are guardrails, but you can still design with them and achieve really great things. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of some of the challenges on Project Runway where they're given like a material or they're given some sort of broad brief. And then when you get to the runway show, everybody has something that's really different, but it still is meeting that brief. It doesn't have to hinder creativity. It can really make creativity flourish by having to work within parameters in a way. And so I'm curious, you've had the experience with the rebrandings. How do you approach writing the brand guidelines? So we are quite strict here at Miami with our brand guidelines. I think that Miami as a national university compared with some of the schools I've worked at before has a greater brand integrity that's necessary. Mm -hmm. And so we're pretty rigid in certain ways with our branding. Um, Our logo guidelines are rock solid, Mm -hmm. our color palettes and our fonts are pretty solid. From there, we give a little bit of creativity. We know that the College of Creative Arts is going to need a different look and feel and vibe than our farmer school of business because they're trying to attract and speak to a different type of student. And so that's where we can, as we're locked down into some of those font usages and color palettes, can we add some colors for the different colleges or can we have a greater use of white space for one of the colleges or something like that? So there's flexibility within that but keeping like the basic foundation the same across projects. And that's something I, I can't imagine. You've probably had to have people who, oh, we want to use papyrus for this, this piece. And we <laughs> want to have, uh, can, we, can we tweak the, the red maybe to a different shade or let's have a blue M to stand out? Yes, probably had <laughs> yes I've seen it all. And, and I appreciate what people are trying to do, right? They're trying mm-hmm. to sort of flex and be different. And I know that it's very challenging to just always work the same color palette or it can be very, people can get really sick of red. Um, For my last 12 years of my career, I've been at a school that's had a red color palette. (laughs) Like, yeah, I get it. It's red, but you know, that's, that's our brand and we have to work within that. How do you train new staff to still be creative within these guidelines? Miami's been around a long time. So there's this structure of expectations. How do you train new staff to be creative and not fall into, well, this is what we did last year. This is what we have to do again. That's a really, really good question because everything that we do in higher ed is cyclical, right? Like yeah. the whole admission cycle, cycle everything yeah. is cyclical. And so when we're working with new people and giving them sort of the base of what they can work on and how they need to work, it's to me, it's all about those guardrails. Like we need Mm -hmm. you to stay within this, but we also want you to put your unique perspective on it too. Mm -hmm. And to be able to have that flexibility to stretch, maybe you can nudge that guardrail a little bit Mm -hmm. or run right up against it and still be, you know, with our brand. 
I think that it's actually more the seasoned designers that get frustrated because they're tired of using the same fonts and the same colors. And that's, you almost have to work with them, the people who've been here a long time to reinvigorate their interest in um, the brand and the creativity that they can apply to that. Yeah. So I, I honestly feel like it's the the longer term designers that have some of the bigger challenges with that. Yeah. And do the design challenges and things help keep them engaged? Or what, what are some tips you found there that, that work to keep them engaged and loving it? So we have one person who's been here for about 30 years. Um, one mm-hmm. of my favorite people on the team. He's one of our art directors. We try to toss him projects where he can do totally free reign. The president mm-hmm. might have something that's not going to be sent to prospective students or it's something where he wants to have a handout to give to people at some sort of event that's internal. And we give him a wide blank canvas to be able to do what he wants because that's what the president wants. He wants to see the creative ideas. So I I don't know that this person is one of the people who gets frustrated by the guardrails or not, but I do see him really thrive when he's given that blank canvas. So he's definitely one of those where I had to read him and get to know him and get mm-hmm. to know that he's one of those that's like, yeah, just just tell me what he needs and I'll rock his world. And he always yeah. does. That's great. Yeah, that's the flip of what initially thought when I was asking, but that makes a lot of sense too, that yeah, if you do this cyclical work every year, it's a lot different than working at an agency or somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's one of the pros and cons of higher ed, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, you know what's coming next year, but the downside is you know what's coming next year. <laughs> exactly, exactly. How has this past year helped or hindered the creative professionals in your experience? I think it's both helped and hindered. Mm-hmm. I think that the pivot to working remotely and then the pivot to working in a hybrid manner, it has really stretched our creative muscles. We've had to MacGyver solutions quickly to feedback and learn new collaboration tools and learn how to work in new ways. And I always think that that benefits creativity. Like when you're stretching your creative muscles to solve one problem, now your muscles are stretched and primed to tackle other problems. Mm -hmm. But on the downside, the pandemic has been exhausting. The added workload of COVID on communications offices has been tremendous and people are really weary and tired of it. Many people have lost somebody in the pandemic or have had somebody who's gotten very sick. Other people might have vulnerable people in their households or kids or unvaccinated family members that they're worried about. And that worry takes up a lot of space in our brain. Mm -hmm. And something has to give. When you have that much worry sitting inside your head, I think that that can crowd out creativity a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's when you start to see people kind of clench down on wanting to work within the parameters as tightly as possible and wanting to have more guidance um, and upfront instruction than in normal times. I think it's going to be really interesting to study the long-term effects of the pandemic on our creativity, on our stress levels. I don't know how much longer this is going to go on. It feels like forever. And so how can we sort of learn how to live with this, that stress yeah. and maintain the creativity. What are some tips? So someone who might not be a designer or work in marketing, but maybe they're in enrollment, maybe they're in advancement, maybe they're in communications and they just work directly with com- marketing. What are some ways that they can 
request support or, or word things or how, how are they getting their project ideas over in a way that is going to be the most beneficial? That's a really good question. So you're talking about people external to our office? Yeah. Or? So, so maybe it's someone who wants a new view book or a new handout or something. You know, that, that's always that divide, you know, of I want this, this thing and I can kind of picture it in my mind, but I need to be able to translate it for the design team in a way that you get exactly what you want. You're not wasting their time, not adding stress to them. Yeah. I think it's really important to start off with a goal so that when Mm -hmm. you're meeting with your creative team, you're explaining what the outcome is of the piece that you're having created and what is the desired action. So you're starting with that. Sometimes what you're visualizing isn't necessarily going to achieve that goal, but -hmm. if you trust the people in the communications and marketing office to understand what drives people to take the action and how language or visuals or photography can help push people to that action and be open and flexible that it Mm -hmm. might look different from what you pictured, but you've established goals. Ideally, you've established how you measure those, the success of those goals or the achievement Mm -hmm. of those goals um, so that you can then go back and assess because it's all cyclical and determine like, did this meet my goals and hopefully build a greater and greater comfort level with the expertise of the marketing and communications office. So I I always caution people, don't come in and say, I want this to look exactly like this, but instead I want it to accomplish this outcome and let the experts figure out the ways to make that happen. Yeah. And that's excellent advice. That's, I mean, that's something that I, I feel like I've seen cause friction in the past. Yeah. Uh, and I suspect there's probably some marketing people listening who are nodding their heads saying, yep. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, my goal as a professional and is to help colleagues and leaders across, I don't know, the world to understand that you're hiring experts. Yeah. And then asking them to just move the pencil the way you want the pencil to be moved. Yeah. Let them use their expertise. You would never tell your CFO how to balance the checkbook. Well, maybe you would tell, tell the provost how to teach classes. Um, <laughs> but I, it's everybody thinks they're a marketer. I hear so often, like, I know how to design. Uh, <laughs> hey, you? I use paint. <laughs> right, exactly. Com- I know Comic Sans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, you know, trust the expertise and let them do what they do best. When I think back to the times now with, I think, more maturity than I had in my mid-20s, the the times where I had requested a piece and it didn't come out the way I wanted and and I got a little frustrated, that was all on me. I wasn't requesting in a way that made sense. It was, oh, here's what I need, not here's what I want to do. Yeah. That's a really good way to reframe it. When I was at Winston-Salem State, we moved our campus to that model and I got a lot of hate uh, calls. I mean, you know, joking, but I wish we were still doing it the other way. And then as people saw that the results were a lot better, then they're like, okay, like (laughs) help me with this now too. And I think that's, we're not at the table enough in those conversations early on. What does your project intake look like now, now that you've kind of refined it. I hope it's not entirely email, I would think with your size and scope, but what, how do you bring projects in? So right now, that's one of our biggest challenges. Our project Mm -hmm. system, we have a project request form Mm -hmm. people submit and they're just telling us about their goals and broad strokes about the project. 
we're bringing in all the communicators from the academic division. So all the college communicators are moving into our shop. We're planning to hire about a dozen more people in the next year. And I think we're going to rescope how our project intake works because it works for a smaller shop. But as we're growing, you know, we have 47-ish now fully staffed. I think we're going to be around 60 some. We need to have something that scales across that large of a group of people. And that's something that we're going to spend the next semester trying to figure out is what we're doing now going to scale? And if not, how can we change it so it will? That's the key I hear a lot is, you know, it's hard to keep everything organized. And Yeah. Yeah. We use a project management tool. Mm-hmm. So the intake forms go straight in there. They kick off a project. There's just a, a lack of understanding on really what to do next um, yeah. across the team uh, that we need to remedy, I think. And that's mm-hmm. one of our biggest challenges for the next three or four months. And maybe someone will hear this and they've they've found the solution. They had the same problem. And I hope you can reach out to Jamie and, and have a conversation. I would love that. I would love to hear what other people have done to solve this. One last parting request for a tip, I guess. You know, if someone says, I love what you're doing with the rebranding, and that's really exciting to me. How does someone get to where you are? Is it just nose the grindstone all the time or are there development opportunities they need to take and leadership opportunities? I think that if you want to advance and grow into a role like mine, you have to take on additional projects, special projects. You have to be in front of the right people demonstrating leadership. So I think that the kind of committee work that's being done on a campus, that's a good way to start connecting with people. You have to be hungry for it. You have to want to put in the effort to really showcase your talents to the right people. I think that if you're somebody who's innovative or somebody who's really able to find success in what you do, you have to keep stretching and not just be comfortable. Like I said earlier, there's people who just want to be comfortable in the job that they're in. But if you're interested in advancing, you really have to stretch what you're doing. Get involved in as much as you can. Get on Twitter showing the conversations, really showcase who you are. My director of executive communications here um, was actually, when I met her six years ago, she was an executive assistant. And she set up a time to meet with me to talk about my career trajectory and how I got to where I was. And I remembered her when I had a position open. I thought that she showed some great initiative and I hired her into that position. And she continued to stretch and push and ask for new projects and go above and beyond on everything. And so when I came here to Miami and I had a position open, I encouraged her to apply because she has that skill set, but she really had to show that spark. If she hadn't made that informational interview time with me, she'd possibly still be in the same role she was in six years ago. So you have to kind of show that initiative and that interest. Well, that's great. And Jamie, if someone wants to follow up on and have a continuing conversation with you or they want to reach out and, you know, they have a a solution to the intake problem. What are some ways people can reach out to you? Where can they find you? Yeah. So I'm um, on Twitter all the time. Um, Jamie Hunt IMC and it's Mm -hmm. J-A-I-M-E because I'm named after the bionic woman. I know. Thanks mom and dad. Um, And (laughs) I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Jamie L. Hunt. And then you could also email me. My email address is cmo at miamioh.edu. 
And I'm always willing to connect because I feel like I never say no to talking to people because I just think that we have to keep helping other people advance and keep helping other people achieve their goals. And that's really, really important to me. This has been a fantastic conversation and I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I hope people get a lot out of this. I just want to thank you again for this. This was great. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was such a pleasure to have this conversation. 